Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Welcome to Gospel Community Church. This morning we're going to continue our series titled Saints in Society from the book of 1 Corinthians. So if you would turn to 1 Corinthians, there's some Bibles placed around the room. If you don't own a Bible, please take one of those Bibles. It's our gift to you. We want you to have a Bible. And this morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. Chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. I've already preached this. In fact, I preached it a couple weeks ago. And in four years, I've never had a mulligan. Uh, and a mulligan in golf, for those of you that don't play golf, is a do-over. And so I've allotted myself one mulligan every four years. And the reason why is this is because I actually believe that this is uh, something that's beneficial for our church family. So it's not like, man, uh, that was just awful way off. It's just from wrestling through this and wrestling uh, through Philippians a little bit more, I believe that, that what, uh, what, what I want to hone in on is going to be helpful for our church family and for our church culture moving forward, even on into next year. And so I want to spend a little bit more time in this, talking through this. And the main point today is a saint's posture, a saint's posture, just three words, a saint's posture. So in, in 1 Corinthians and in Saints and Society, what we're looking at is at the beginning of this letter to the Corinthians, Paul addresses them, and he addresses them as saints, which means set apart. It means holy ones. And so he's addressing them as this is not who you become. This is who you are by the grace of God in Christ. This is who you are. You are a set apart holy one. That's who you are. And through the rest of the letter, what we're going to look at and what we're going to see is that Paul is addressing them what it looks like to be saints, to be set apart, but also to live in society. And, And it's a good reminder for us because a lot of what's going on in Corinth is still the same old tricks that are still around the day. It's the same stuff that's going on today. And so it's helpful for us to look and see what it is for us to be saints living in Eugene, for us to be saints who live in Springfield, for us to be saints who live in this society that God has called us to be in. So we're going to look at that. For the first four chapters, Paul is primarily addressing division and disunity that's going on inside the church. And what's going on now and what we're going to look at today is is that the saints are actually posturing, but they're posturing from an unhealthy perspective. They're, they're, they're posturing in an unhealthy sort of way. So uh, posturing, I would define it as this. Doing something externally to cover up or deal with what's going on internally. So doing something externally to cover up or deal with what's going on internally. In other words, pretending, wearing a mask, treating each day like it's Halloween, or doing something so people can't see what's really going on. In a sense, it's hiding, it's pretending. Several years ago, I was sitting in an office, and uh, a, a pastor from on staff came in, and uh, I, I had an idea for this youth group, and I said, this is what I would like to do. And there was this other pastor who didn't go to our church who was um, uh, operated more uh, as a dictator than he did a pastor. So he told this other pastor what my idea was for the youth ministry, and, and, and in short, he was like, he just kind of thinks it's dumb, and it's stupid, and it doesn't work. So that's fun. And I, being the holy, spiritual, mature man that I am, postured with this. You might tell so-and-so that they're smarter than me and that they know more theology than I do, but at the end of the day, I can still kick his butt. (laughs) That's literally what I said. 
Change the words up a little bit, but that's primarily what I said. Because I was posturing, because I was reacting. And what that is, that's tough guy posturing. But there's also silent guy posturing. There's all different types of posturing that we do as a means to protect ourselves, to guard ourselves, and from not letting people really see what's going on inside of our lives. And so I believe Paul is addressing this and addressing it well, beautifully, graciously. And so we're going to look at it today. I'm going to read and then we'll pray. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would teach us what a saint's true posture is. I pray that you would save us from being a community and a church family that postures in an unhealthy sort of way. Please deliver us from that. Please deliver us from our pride. And please remind us of the gospel that frees us from hiding and from posturing to pretend Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you that you're so gracious with us. Thank you that you're so patient. Thank you for your word that, Father, teaches us but also shapes us and corrects us. And I pray that this morning through your spirit we would be corrected, we would be shaped, we would be transformed, and we thank you for a gospel that doesn't just leave us where we're at, but it transforms us. We pray that the gospel would be preached loud and clear. I need you, Father, do that through me, through your spirit this morning, and speak to us. Calm our minds, calm our hearts, calm our souls from the craziness of life, from the craziness of even the drive here with families this morning, Father. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. What Paul is addressing in 26 through 31 is, like I said, division and disunity. And the reason is, this is what's happened. This is nothing profound. This is nothing new. This is nothing that I've never said to you guys before. The reason why there's disunity and division inside of the church in Corinth is very simple. They have forgotten how they arrived. That's it. The reason that they're posturing and putting on this unhealthy posture is because they have forgotten how they arrived to be saints in the first place, how they even came to Christ, how they became Christians. They they have forgotten that it's only by grace that they are where they are. No other reason. That's it. It's that simple. They have forgotten that they have arrived by grace. The one qualification for you to be a Christian is for you to admit that we are utterly and completely broken and helpless to save ourselves. That's the qualification. But what happens, and it happens quickly, and sometimes it's subtle, is that we quickly transition into this, now we feel like we need a posture. If you think about it, there should actually be no safer place for a Christian to be than inside of their Christian church family. Because we all have arrived the same way. We all have the same need. We need God's grace, His unmerited favor and love. And so the, the very essence of posturing should be the one place where this doesn't have to happen because we can all come and say, hey, the only reason we're here is because we're absolutely broken and, and we're, we're just admitting that. And we're recognizing that. But as soon as we move away from that and move toward posturing and hiding and pretending, then pride comes in. Then disunity comes in. Then division comes in because we forget the very essence of Christianity is that we are only Christians by grace. 
It's something very simple but very profound, and it's a really easy trap for us to fall into. And that's, that, that's honestly my, my prayer for us today. Why I decided to re-preach this, why I decided to go back to this, is because as, as our church is four years old, and, and by God's grace as our church is growing, and as our church is moving into its fifth year, I want us to be a people who don't posture in an unhealthy sort of way. I want us to be a people who are freed from posturing from, from one another to one another, from walking into society and feeling this need to posture. And you guys know what I'm talking about. Sometimes people walk in a room and, and, and just their presence alone threatens us and so we need to posture. Sometimes we rise up. Sometimes we posture in a shrinking sort of way because of someone's presence, but, but, but oftentimes we can feel this need to posture up in a sense to peacock. And I want our community to just walk in the freedom and have the freedom of what a saint's true posture is and that we're actually freed not to posture. Do you know what posturing is actually driven from? A fear of man. Approval of man. It's, it's, it's what we want. We want man's approval and we fear man. And so it drives this. So what, what, is, what is Paul doing here in 26 through 29? I love this. For consider your calling, brothers. In, in, in other words, uh, consider your calling, family. Paul spent 18 months there. What he's doing is he's giving them this sober reminder. He's like, um, I know you guys. I know you guys. And just to be honest with you guys, not many of you are super wise. Not many of you are that intelligent. Not many of you are that smart according to worldly standards. Not many of you are that powerful. Not many of you have that much power. Not many of you are from a noble birth or from a noble family. So why are you posturing? Why are you pretending? Why are you rising up to be someone that you're not? Why are you doing that? I know that. It would be much like a pastor day or me standing up here being like, come on now, Margaret or Tim or John. I know you guys. Like, why are you pretending? Why are you acting this way? Why, why are you trying to overcompensate? And I think sometimes we need to pay attention to where we overcompensate because oftentimes where our weaknesses are exposed, then we overcompensate in another area. And so this is kind of what Paul's doing. Just so graciously, he's like, I, I know you guys. I know where you, I know your families. I know where you're from. I know your pedigrees. I know this stuff about you. And not many of you guys were anything, actually. So why are they doing this now? Because now they know Paul. Now they know Apollos. Now they know Peter. And so they know some people. And so they can name drop. They're also inside of the Christian family. They have spiritual gifts now. And so they can take pride in their spiritual gifts. And that's what they do. And so now they, they puff up, they posture, they're like, I know Paul, I know Apollos, and I have these gifts. So they have something to boast in, so they think. And Paul's like, no, 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 you, you have forgotten. You have forgotten how you arrived. You have forgotten how you came. You have forgotten even how you remain. What else? I believe that God has a pattern of using the lowly in the world's eyes. The lowly in the world's eyes. Why? So all glory goes to God. All glory goes to God. Like This is what he's saying. He's like, actually God loves using lowly, despised, shameful, unwise, weak people in the world because in that, who gets the glory? God does. And in fact, if we look at the whole Bible, the whole redemptive narrative, what we actually see is this. If we zoom way out, what we see is that God chose the nation of Israel. There's a slide up there for Deuteronomy 7.7. 7. Look at the reason why God chose the nation Israel. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set His love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples, but it's because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that He swore to your fathers. 
The Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So even the nation of Israel, God chose them because they were the smallest and the weakest. And through that, by God saving them and bringing them through, He would get the glory. But also we see other examples of this. If you look at the story of two brothers, Jacob and Esau, the culture likely would have chosen Esau. Why? Because he's this hard-working, blue-collar, just kind of just man, manly man, right? He goes out and he hunts and, and, and he provides and he brings stuff back in. And Jacob's a little bit more of a mama's boy. He likes the tent. He likes to stay inside. He's a shepherd. Maybe he's a little bit quirky. And God's like, I'm going to go with him. He's a deceitful schemer. And God's like, I'm going to go with him. Through it, I'll get the glory. And then when, when the nation of Israel chooses a king, who do they choose? King Saul. Why? Because he stood head and shoulders above everyone else. Not just that, he was good looking. So they chose a guy who could probably dunk, fight, and be on, G, uh, on the cover of a GQ magazine. That's who, that's who Israel wanted. Who did, who did God choose? Um, I'll, t- I'll take David. The youngest of Jesse's sons? Yeah, just the absolute smallest and youngest. I'll take him. Why? Because through that, God would get the glory. And as we move on to the New Testament, who, who did Jesus choose? Look at the apostles. He chose fishermen. He didn't say, I'm going to go to the nearest synagogue or I'm, I'm, I'm going to go to the nearest college and I'm going to choose the just highest academic minds that I can possibly pick from. Where are they at? He was like, I'll take Peter, I'll take James, and I'll take John. I'll take those guys, the fishermen. And through it, and through them, through the Spirit, I'm going to turn the world upside down. I'll get the glory for that. Not through educated, highly advanced, academic guys, blue-collared fishermen. That's what God was like, I'm going to use. So why do we posture? We, we look at the whole redemptive narrative and we see what God has done from the beginning to the end. So why do we posture? Why do we pretend? Why do we feel like we need to do this? God used these guys because in the end, He is able and He gets the glory. Before we look at why we posture and what Paul is addressing here, I want to give a few examples of how we posture today in our society. I think we can posture through degrees, which honestly, that's the foolishness of the world to tell you that if you get a piece of paper that it'll make your life uh, make sense or it'll satisfy you. Our suicide rates from 2017 have been rising from, uh, 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 from young adults ages 15 to 24 who have degrees. But we, 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 we can posture, feel the need to have a degree. We can posture through our careers. We can posture through our pedigrees. Through the families that we have come from. We can posture through having a home. Culture tells you you need to buy a home. And then oftentimes we feel like if we have a home, then that's what's going to satisfy us. And that could be a means of posture. Here's the reality. People with degrees buy homes. People who own homes hang themselves inside of those homes. That's a reality. How else do we posture? Do we pretend? Do we try to do something externally to deal with what's going on internally? Physique. Physique. Ed Welch says this, aren't most diets, even under the uh, heading of healthy, about us impressing others and getting the praise of man with our physique? Physique is one way that we can posture. It's something that we can hide behind, put out, put put forth, put in front of people that, that we can get behind and feel good about ourselves. Intelligence, big vo- vocabulary, great way to posture. 
I'm socially awkward or I, I, I'm socially uncomfortable. I don't know how to act in certain settings. And so one way that I can do this is I can use big words. It's a way for you to posture worth inside of a relational setting. Families. Man, how, I won't make you raise your hands, but how many of us just got an argument with our families on the way to church this morning or with our spouses? It's just a train wreck. I spoke at, an event, at a college event yesterday and my wife and I fought over there. It's like we show up and I'm the speaker. <laughs> I'm the one that has my life together. It's like we just fought the whole way over there about ridiculous stuff. We posture. Walk in, smile. We walk in, we do that on Sunday morning. How are you guys doing? So good. And so good. <laughs> it would be hard for me to even have a conversation with you because my life is so good. <laughs> this is, we, we do this stuff even on Sunday mornings when we walk into church. We can posture. <laughs> we can try to present our families in a light that's not even a reality. The reality is, is people cause us to posture. People cause us to posture. Why? So, so let's get into the why. So Paul is telling the Corinthians here, hey, I know you guys, a lot of you guys don't come from noble birth. A lot of you guys are, aren't that wise. Uh, you're not that strong. You're not that powerful. All of this. And so why do we posture? Here it is. The garden is where we look to see why we posture. We have to go back thousands of years to the Garden of Eden and see this is where our origin for posturing comes from. It comes from the garden. If you get to Genesis, what, what you will see is that they were naked and there was this beauty and this innocence that existed between Adam and Eve. And in a moment, that was lost like that. What did Adam and Eve do? As soon as they rebelled against God, as soon as sin entered the picture, Something happened. It does not say in the text, and I'm sorry this is a little brash for you, it does not say in the text that Adam got a beer belly and so he felt the need to hide. It does not say that Eve developed loved handles and she felt the need to hide. There was no physical change that the text shows us that happened. So why all of a sudden, in an instant, do they feel the need to cover themselves with fig leaves? Because sin devastates us to the depths of our soul, causing shame and causing guilt. It impacts our relationship with God and it impacts our relationship with people. So something internal happened, not something just physical happened. Their response was that, oh no, I can see you. The, the beauty and the innocence is lost. And God is going to find us as well and then He will be able to see us. So what we need to do is we need to posture. How do they posture? They found fig leaves to cover up the shame and the guilt and, and, and the devastation that sin had caused. That's what they did. They tried hiding. Do you know that's what, it, that's what religion is at its core? Is it's us trying to do something externally to deal with the internal sin of corruption. It's us trying to wash ourselves or do something or cover something on the outside when in all reality there's something much bigger and deeper going on on the inside. We see that with them. We see this hiding take place. Hiding from one another. Hiding from God. This posturing. This covering. I believe throughout the rest of the Old Testament we see posturing take place. And, and, and I actually love this. Is that David, whenever he sins and rebels against God, he's like, man, God, I would love just to bring you some, some offerings and some sacrifices and do something that my hands can do so I could just give that to you. And he goes, but the problem with that is, is that I know that you actually desire my heart. Like I would love to just give something or do something to fix this, but you actually desire what's going on inside of my heart. 
Our problem is, 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 is there is something going on inside of us. Sin devastates us internally because it, 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 it separates us from a relationship with God. And therefore, what it does is it affects our relationship with one another. It fractures our relationship with God. It fractures our relationship with humanity. And the result is in this posturing. Sin is like a cancer. At first, you might not see it, but eventually what it will do is it will eat you alive from the inside. That's what cancer does. It kills you from the inside. You, 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 you might eventually see, and you probably will eventually see what's happening, but what's going on is there's this internal disease that is killing you, and that's what sin is doing from the inside. And what, what society does, which is what Christians shouldn't do, is they try to deal with all that externally through diets, through everything else, as though there's something externally I can do to fix what's going on inside of my relationship or inside of me. Why else do we posture? Honestly, because it feels good. For a moment, if we're being honest, I sat around with a group of guys this last week and we looked at Philippians 3. I think we have a slide for Philippians 3. I don't actually have it up in front of me, so I'm going to read it from up here. I just love these times when Paul just kind of goes off boasting. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. I love this. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Sir, it's awesome. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Skubalon, that's the Greek word, trash, garbage, dung is actually what it means in order that i may gain christ and be found in him we we sometimes posture because it feels good and we can get people to look at that and see the things that we can brag in and boast in and so they actually can't see what's going on inside of us where we're insecure where where where, where shame is devastating our souls why we're depressed why we're anxious all that's going on inside of us we can boast we did this we did this with a uh did this with a group of guys it, it, it felt great just like laying, I think I, I dominated. Brag, because we just went around and listed things that we're actually like proud of or could boast in. It feels good. But the reality is it doesn't deal with what's going on on the inside. It's just a means or a way for me to present something that's actually just my way of protecting myself from you seeing what I'm actually insecure about or where I feel incompetent. What else leads us to posture is this it's 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 the approval of man that's actually driving it the reason why we posture is because we fear man and we want the approval of man and actually this is something i think that might be helpful for you to hear since we posture to gain man's approval when you are feeling the need for approval just remember that in that moment the reason you're feeling approval is because you actually need a greater approval from God. So when you're feeling man's approval, let it lead you to the place where you can find ultimate approval, which is in God. So when you feel that or you sense yourself doing that, it's because you actually are longing for approval. It's just that man can't provide it. So we fear man and we long for man's approval to please man. Actually, to please man and to fear man is actually sin. We could make it something light, but that's what it is because you can't actually please man and love man at the same time. 
You will actually please man and not do what's best for man. Or you will love man, which sometimes means it's doing, it's, it's doing what's harder for man. And I'll say this, and maybe it's a big statement, maybe it's not true, maybe you guys can disagree with it, but I'm not sure that there's any quicker way to wear yourself down spiritually, physically, and uh, emotionally than posturing for man's approval. Because then you will spend your life thinking, what do they think about me? What do they think about me? How am I doing here? How am I doing here? And it's constantly about having man, the, the, the eyes of man gaze upon you to have a moment of approval. And I would also say this, that you can't deal, and this is a big statement again, but you cannot deal with self-esteem by doing something externally. So if you are trying a diet, uh, um, however you're responding to something physically, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm just saying if, you're, if, if, if we believe the lie that we can fix our self-esteem issues by dealing with external things, I believe that we're just believing a lie that's going to exhaust us because again, there's this internal struggle of sin that has to be dealt with. So what's the solution? Verse 30. And because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as as it is written, let the one who boasts, Boast in the Lord. What's the, what's, the, what's the solution? The first solution is to put God in His proper place. When Isaiah sat before the throne room in his vision, do you know that the only thing that he was concerned about is how unholy he was before a holy God? He was not thinking about, I wonder what my peers think about me. I wonder if I have their approval. When Isaiah sat before a holy God, the only thing that came out of his mouth is, woe is me. Why? Because God in that moment, and and Isaiah realized this, God is not fooled by the external posturing that we do. God peered in the depths of Isaiah's soul, and what God actually sees in him and in us is every motive that is driving our posturing, which is far more ugly than our actual posturing itself. It's what's driving all this posturing. God can look into the soul of us and see the sin, see the brokenness, see the corruption, see what's going on and how warped we actually are. And when we put God in its proper place, then man has to become or be put as a result in man's proper place. So God gets big, man gets small. It's not my actually uh, thoughts. There's a guy named Ed Welch who wrote a book called when, when God is Small and People Are Big. I would recommend it. So first, the solution, bigger view of God, as we see with Isaiah. What we need is we need God's eyes to look on us, to look at us to see the soul, to, to see the whole man, the whole woman, the whole being, the inside, the outside, and all that stuff. We need God to see it. And what we actually need is for God to look at us and accept it. And accept all of us. Inward, outward, we need God's approval, His acceptance, and His love. The problem is, is you can't get that apart from Jesus Christ. Because you need this you don't need a religious external washing. You need an in, in, internal renewal. You need to be washed and cleansed from the inside out. And so if, if you leave here today going, what do I need uh, to do to try to make myself right with God and try to fix my relationships with people? What do I need to do? It's actually what has to be done to you. That's the way we have to approach it. You can't posture on this one. And in fact, I would say a saint's true posture is like this. This is how saints truly posture. The only thing that we should be able to do in the presence of God is say, I can't do this. 
I'm, 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 my relationships are broken. I'm broken. I'm exhausted. I'm trying to deal with all this stuff externally and I can't do it. What we need is we need the eyes of a holy God to look upon us and see us as completely holy. We need the, our sin to be dealt with by a righteous and perfect Savior. What we need is what the text says that we need. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus. What we need is we need a Savior who actually lived for the approval of God. He never feared man. He always loved man. He never existed to please man. He always existed to please God. But what we need is we need to be placed inside of Him. We need all of us to be placed inside of Jesus. And then in that, what we actually need is we need His righteousness. What, 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 what we need is we need Him to deal with the parts of us that are broken. What, what we need is His perfection, His innocence. What we need is sanctification. We need Him to wash us and cleanse us and purify us from the inside out. What we need is redemption. We need Him to rescue us from ourselves. What we need is not just uh, this external covering. What we need is for Christ to deal with us and heal us and mend us from the inside so that He presents us to God as a pure, perfect, holy, righteous, sanctified, redeemed individual. And in that, the only thing we can say is Jesus. What I deserve is to take Jesus' posture on the cross. That's what we need. And in fact, if we put up the verse from Philippians, the second slide, I'd say this. Adam and Eve hid in the garden because they didn't want to be found out. What you actually need to do is you need to be found in Christ. I, I'm, I'm telling you this the, because the Word of God is saying this. So I'm just reiterating what the Word of God is saying is that you will not have a restored relationship with God or with other people until you are found in Christ because by being found in Christ, this word here, Paul considered all of his stuff rubbish. Anything that he could boast in, you name it. Whatever your list is you want to present forward today, you just need to count that as trash because that's what Paul is saying. That's what the Word of God is saying. In order that I might gain Christ and look, be found. The word found actually means secure and exposed. Like Adam and Eve in the garden. They were exposed. What is, what, what do we, they were worried about being found out. Until we are found in Christ, we will always be worried about being found out by others. Until we are secure in Christ, we will always be insecure before others. Until we are placed in Christ only by God's grace through the redemptive, finished, beautiful, perfect work of Jesus, we will feel the need to posture. I'm going to read this poem. I like poetry. I write poems. You guys can make fun of me if you want, but then I would beat you up, and then you got beat up by a guy who likes poems. That's posturing. This is... I, I, I read this here a couple years ago. The man at the end of the aisle, your groom. In angst, she rushed her best friend to the tabernacle. Confused, she said, what are we doing here? She responded in a clear and calm tone, it's your wedding day. She chuckled and said, who would want to marry me? You and I both know what I've done, and even worse, what's been done to me. Her friend scurried around, unmoved by the comments and reasons why she wasn't marriage material. So she repeated herself, this time with frustration in her voice. What are we doing here? As though she was deaf to her comment, she replied, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom, is waiting. Is this a joke? And since her friend was not responding, she responded with exasperation. No one would want me. Her friend replied, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom, does. 
And what, am I supposed to get married in these rags, she asked. She looked down at her tattered dress and she felt embarrassed by what she saw and exclaimed, I can't walk down the aisle in this, in this mess. Her friend responded, I know, that's why you're going to wear this. She looked and saw a beautiful wedding gown, one she knew she could never afford. Quick, let's put it on. You're going to be late. She felt unworthy to wear such a dress, but she agreed and said, I can't afford this. Her friend said, the man at the end of the aisle, your groom, purchased it for you. She said, it fits perfect and it's beautiful, but what about my hair? It's even worse than my clothes. With eyes that match the smile on her face, her friend said, don't worry. The man at the end of the aisle, your groom, took care of that too. Immediately, a team rushed in, did her hair, and covered every flaw. When she looked in the mirror, dress on, hair and makeup finished, she said, I can't believe this. I look. She paused for the right word and felt undeserving as she declared flawless. Her friend said, it's time. She felt nervous but ready to meet the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. One last thing she said, I have no one to walk me down the aisle. Without a second passing, the friend responded, what do you think I'm doing here? The door swung open and the church was filled with the sound of people gasping because they were awestruck by the bride's beauty. But the lights pierced through the stained glass window so that she couldn't make out the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. She walked down the aisle feeling unworthy and undeserving and she remembered all that she had done and how she looked just minutes ago. Finally, the, the light dimmed and she could see clearly for the first time the man at the end of the aisle, her groom. Confused, she exclaimed, I don't understand. She saw a man in tattered clothes who resembled her clothes. She saw scars in the same place as she had scars. She saw a man that looked shameful and pitiful. A man no one would want to marry. But right then her friend said with excitement, here he is. The man at the end of the aisle, your groom. Her eyes filled with tears and she couldn't speak because for the first time she realized what the man at the end of the aisle, her groom, had done. She said, those are my clothes, my scars, and my shame. And she began to lower her head again. Then the man at the end of the aisle, her groom, placed his hand gently under her chin, lifted her eyes to meet his, and said, no, they are mine. This is what the gospel provides, a ch and, and a beautiful exchange where we arrive with all of our brokenness. We give that to Jesus, and he, arri uh, he arrives with all of his perfection, this inward renewal, this cleansing, this the, 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 this rescuing, this sanctification, this beauty and perfection. And as a bride looks flawless on her wedding day, so the saints remain flawless in the eyes of God throughout eternity because of what Christ has done. Our response to this is this. Three things, and I'm done. Healing comes through confessing and being found out. James 5 talks about this. Please get in community. Please stop running. Please stop hiding. It will, it will slowly wear you down. Please stop running. Please stop hiding. Conf uh, healing comes through confessing. Get known. Christ, you've been found in Christ. You can be found out. Powerful missionaries are free. This is the second thing. Powerful missionaries, we're all missionaries in Christ, are freed from posturing and pretending. So here's what I would encourage you to do. Please don't wait for God to fix your life and your family and all that's going on before you think that he can use you. Because in that, you would just wait till you have something to boast in. When, when, when you reach a spot to where you're literally like this and have nothing left, on your knees and broken, then, then who gets the glory? Let God use you in the midst of your brokenness and watch Him get the glory. Three, I would say this. Our society, Eugene, Oregon, needs, 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 needs our people, our saints to live missional lives 
intentionally outward focused because our city needs inward renewal. We don't just need new, uh, new flowers and a lot of new pretty stuff. Actually, people need an internal cleansing. And the saints are equipped with that message to go and love people. Please, let's be a people that do that well. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you that the saints' true posture is one of just <laughs> brokenness on our knees, declaring our utter dependence upon you. And that's a good thing. That's a good spot to be. Father, I know that in this room there's people that are going through a lot of brokenness and a lot of uh, just hurt and a lot of pain. And I pray that in that you would meet them through the good news of what you've provided for them. Yes, there is brokenness in their life, but yes, you are a good God who has taken care of their ultimate need. In Jesus' name, amen.